Welcome back to EX Talks. Today, we're here with Ruby Ao of Ecosia, uh, the search engine that also plants trees for every search that people utilize on their system. Ruby, welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. So I have looked at your background as well as where Ecosia got its start and how it's actually been around for quite some time. Was it 2009? 2009. 2009, it was founded. So it's been around for about a decade. That's amazing. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your story? So how you got to Ecosia, your background, just so everyone can sort of align to where you are in the picture. Well, I could talk all day about the very convoluted and roundabout way I ended up for the you know green search engine, but I'll try to give you the nutshell version of it, which is I was in school at the time and I was pursuing a double degree in business and environmental science. And if you think about the kind of fundamental theories that they teach in these two schools, you'll quickly realize that you'll get into some conflicts. And so there was a running joke in my environmental discipline that I was the capitalistic, you know, money hungry, going to sell out the trees one day to get my profits. And then in the business school, there was this other running joke of Ruby's the tree lo- tree loving hippie, uh, <laughs> who's not really bought into the full economic principles that we were studying. And so this fascinated me, just this juxtaposition of being in the two disciplines and put me in the headspace of wondering, well, are they actually at odds with each other? And is there a way to reconcile I mean, capitalism and the environment, but also more broadly, capitalism, free market and social good, social impact. So that landed me in the space of social impact companies, companies that are doing purpose driven brand building. It made me realize that the entire industry or the digital infrastructure is set up for a few monopoly players. Right. So if you want more apps developed for your operating system, if you want more features, if you want more open source contributors, there's just not the same kind of ecosystem to build. And so when I found Ecosia, it was basically these separate threads coming together. You know, I'd been thinking about, well, is there a way to reconcile business and environmental impact? Can you do that profitably and sustainably? How do you even challenge and or question the tech leaders in the industry today who have overwhelming monopoly of the space? And seeing that come together, it just it absolutely fascinated me. So I came on board to start leading Ecosia's North American strategy and have been here since. Excellent. Excellent. It's fascinating to hear, and we're going to certainly get to it, but those juxtapositions of seemingly contrarian concepts, whether it's business and social good, I think is mirrored in a lot of our discussion. A little later on, we're going to certainly talk about search and data privacy, as can those two things coexist, because it certainly feels like that's definitely a problem that I think Ecosia also has a really strong stance on. So I want to come back to that. As head of North America and strategy, what is your role? What typically for you on on a day-to-day basis, what are you looking to build with Ecosia? Because from the business model perspective, it's not just about search. It's also about all the other projects that you all are involved in. Where do you fall into that strategy? Right. So search is a product in itself, as you said, and I think that's what's front and center of people's minds because that's how they interface with it, right? Like the search box that I type on. But there's a whole lot of back-end partnerships that actually go into thinking about how we can deliver search to the user. Uh, So a lot of my work falls into building out partnerships that might be distribution partnerships. So when you see Ecosia available on one browser versus another, all of that is you know, partnerships in the background, search partnerships and and building those relationships. There's also a lot of brand partnerships, 
as a purpose-driven company and an impact-led brand, we do try to find other players in this space. And it might not always be environmental players, right? There's people who are doing all sorts of good work. Coming together as a coalition and coming together as often B-Lab companies as well and saying, well, how do we actually introduce users and consumers to buying better and why that's important? And then, of course, there's a lot of work also just crossed with the marketing team and making sure that we are building a strategy that speaks to our users and even, you know, discovering what segments of our users really care about Ecosia and how to get that value to them. Excellent. So recognizing that that whole back end ecosystem, the one that helps power search, explain to me when people come to the site. So I did a bunch of searches in preparation for our discussion where I'm looking at all of the number one, I think that the counter is amazing. So you have a tree counter right on the site and it's walking through how many that you've planted. But when people utilize it, can you walk me through the model? Because I know it's revenue based, but it's also privacy focused. Walk me through how you're generating the revenue and then how as a B Corp, you are actually able to use that money for the social good. Underlying Ecosia's business model is an advertising model, right? So how we make our money is when a user is searching into that search box, roughly every 45 searches equals one tree planted. Now, I want to say that's a global average. It depends on a lot of more granular details, like how much users in one country maybe click on ads versus another, what kind of ads are displayed in one country versus another. But the simple logic of it is more users equals more clicks, which equals more advertising revenue generated. And all of that advertising revenue goes into a big bucket of fund that we call our tree fund, nice and simple. So the tree fund works almost like, I think the easiest way to think about this is maybe an investment fund. We have a tree team within Ecosia. They act like fund managers, essentially, and have a portfolio of 60 plus projects across 30 different countries. And they'll say, okay, you know, countries maybe in Burkina Faso right now need extra financing. We could really scale up our tree planting projects there, which would lead to more biodiversity impact. So we're going to allocate some funding there. And oh, it looks like there's a new project also in Indonesia. And this looks like a really good contract for us to support. So we're going to allocate some funding there. So essentially everything comes out of this one tree fund, but that drives all of the impact that we're able to make. Amazing. And so when you're out there building these partnerships and getting Ecosia further into people's mindset, I think what's fascinating is this is all about that battle for attention and engagement from the user base. The more people we can get to understand by using Ecosia, they can still have a great search experience, which I want to get to in a second. But also there's, as you talked about earlier in your background, you know, there are these monopolistic sort of issues out there. Obviously, from a, a search perspective, Google controls the vast majority of that. Our theme for this season is search wars, and it's really understanding how people leverage search in the different places that they do. How do you see Ecosia capturing more and more of that search engagement? What is the plan to help more people understand, certainly through things like this podcast, but more so, how do you show the value of what that search can do so that you can continue with the good work that Ecosia has set aside? A lot of it comes down to user understanding, I think. So there's this really easy, I think, audience to capture up front, which is the people who are really passionate about environmental good and planting trees on the planet. And I would say this is our kind of core loyal user base that is going to stick with us through thick and thin. Um, and because climate, I think, is becoming such a resonant topic, we see really engaged users. You know, I often get messages of, you know, I've been planting trees with you guys for over a decade. I've planted, you know, thousands of trees with you already. And so that is a really, really strong point for our company. But I think beyond that, there is this growing movement of 
wanting choice in the search industry. Google is, for all that, it is an incredible search product. It's pretty much a one-size-fits-all search product, right? So if I want to do some sort of environmental good through my searches, or if I really care about privacy, or if I really care about personalization, right? Maybe I want my search experience to be much more visual, or I really want my search experience to show only a specific subset of search from a specific subset of providers. That's not the experience that Google and a lot of the big monopolistic players, for lack of a better word, are providing. They're they're not designed to cater for that. And so I think as this kind of user demand for different kinds of search experience and different causes that they care about grows, you're also going to see hopefully a diversification in the search providers that actually show up, whether that's a Cozio or another alternative search engine. Number one, we completely agree. I think this construct of a decentralization of search is well underway. It's hard to see sometimes when you look at the numbers because you're looking at overall global search. But when we think about particular use cases, for example, you know, when I'm looking for a place to stay, I end up a lot on Airbnb. I just find their search experience really, really smooth and well done. When I'm looking for a product, me and 54% of all the rest of the world go to Amazon now. We have started to move away from this one construct. So I couldn't agree more. Knowing that, are there strategies to help people understand? Because I think people still are thinking about their end goal with search but you are also offering another goal with search, which is really unique. How do you put that front and center further to help people understand? Because yes, you've got that core group who've been planting trees with you since 2009, which is absolutely wonderful the way they see that and they make that connection. How can you grow that? Is it is it just through advertising or partnerships more about what Ecosia is doing? Or are there other ways to get your, your search embedded into that, let's say, more verticalized or focused search that people are doing? There's so many different aspects of this, so I'll tackle them one by one. I think the first is recognizing that it is a hugely monopolistic industry right now. So absolutely, like in any business industry, marketing is one side of it and customer education is one side of it. But if I am going to stack up all of the marketing budget that Ecosia has, or even if I'm going to ask all of the alternative search engines to come together and stack up the marketing budgets they have, that is going to be a fraction of the revenue dollars that Google can throw at one single campaign, right? So I think the amount of kind of self-movement and self-drive that Ecosia does is one part of the answer. But it also comes down to me to regulatory practices and actually being an advocate for creating a level playing field so that choice can be presented to users. When you're stacking up something like a 90% market share against a 10% market share and that 10% market share is fragmented, there has got to be some sort of policy intervention. Otherwise, you're always kind of chasing a larger vessel that's, that's going out ahead. And I think a large part of that is also recognizing where the competitive advantage of a player like Google actually comes in. Search is so ubiquitous now. And if I'm thinking about this, not from the perspective of the user, but the search provider, one of the reasons there's incentive to make it so ubiquitous is because you can harvest so much user data, right? And we've seen this vertical integration where search has moved from a website-based interface, you know, just going to www.whatever and and typing in your search query, to then a browser feature, to now a device feature where it's searching on maybe your phone across not only the web, but across all of your personal files and your documents. And now even to basically the internet of things where you have voice search, voice assistance, you have smart homes, you have smart devices, and all of that is search in a way. It's collecting data. It's you putting out a query into the world and hoping this virtual 
whatever technology is going to do something or help provide something for you. And that data is incredibly powerful for creating the search experiences that we are all used to. And that data, I, I would almost call that the raw building blocks, right, of a lot of search innovation and technological innovation. Now, if you think about who has a monopoly on that building block, essentially, the answer is very obvious. The Googles and the Facebooks of the world have a way larger cachet of this data. And some of us like Ecosia aren't even interested in, in getting into that fight because we have different values and beliefs. And so all of that to say, I think one regulatory practice, yes, self-growth, yes, but also consumers need to do their homework and, and kind of understand if I'm taking a stance about this, why am I taking a stance about it? Is it just because it makes me feel good about something like plugging in for the environment? If so, that's fine. Or is it that I care more deeply about what the movement of the search industry towards a more ubiquitous, almost data surveillance ecosystem means? And am I comfortable with that? It's fascinating because certainly we've had conversations with DuckDuckGo and with other marketing experts about this whole construct around data. And we couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So data privacy is a really important part of how we view the search industry. Yext, as an AI search company, we're powering search for the endpoints. So all the businesses that want to be the authoritative source of, are they open tomorrow? What products do they have? What's their status on DNI projects? Any question that you want to ask directly of a business, we we want them to finally have an amazing search experience as well. To your point, it's part of this broader search expansion as the ubiquitous conversational interface that all humans are getting very used to. At the same time, I think what's, what's fascinating is when you have that focus on data, data itself, the word do dari datum from Latin, literally means the thing having been given. And so many people forget that data has been given by a human. Otherwise, it's really usually not even that interesting to us. Even if it's weather data, it's when you merge weather data with the people in that zip code that it becomes valuable. So there's this element of how do you get people to understand? I think what's fascinating is in many of our other conversations, data privacy gets a lot of talk. But what you're actually doing, which I find fascinating, is you're merging data privacy understanding and how important that is for people to take control of that with also a social good. Do you see other people doing that? Or do you see that as, is that the real lever by which you can sort of get movement in this space is usually using those two elements together? I would almost take a step back and see them as one element. So where Ecosia has really chosen to focus is primarily on the environmental good factor and also on the privacy factor. But other search engines like DuckDuckGo, that's kind of their, their foot that they lead with to say. But if I, I zoom out from that, what I'm actually looking at is the same model of capitalism that is driving a lot of the reasons why companies like Ecosia, DuckDuckGo, or any of these other alternative search engines are trying to offer a different option. Because what's happening is basically deregulated capitalism means profit at all costs, right? So for Google, yes, there's some questions around how ethical it is to collect data without actually alerting or allowing the user to opt in or out. Yes, there's some questions around the ethics of what they're doing. But at the end of the day, they answer to a board and to investors that want to see that return maximized. And the same logic that is going to have you say, I'm going to pursue data monetization and user surveillance at all costs is exactly the same logic that is going to have you say, well, I'm going to mine up a mountain or cut down forests 
because I need the profits at any cost. And that's why there's so many companies, I would say now in this ethical tech realm, and not even necessarily tech companies, but just social good companies who are saying, yes, I am part of the capitalistic system. Yes, I want to make a profit because I recognize that the profit is what allows me to operate and do whatever it is that I do. But I'm going to self-regulate and I'm going to put a cap on that. And I'm also doing that not only for myself as a business, but for the good of my users and for the good of my employees and for the good of the regulatory environment and the physical environment that I operate in. One question then that sort of immediately brings forward is really it is sort of rallying against the same ultimate problem, which is capitalism at any cost or profit at any cost. One of the things that typically sort of causes people to make one choice or another is also how well the product itself works. So when you think about search, one of the areas that we've seen is this massive growth in Google and focused on direct answers, knowledge graph usage, things where they're returning exact answers. Number one, how does your search engine operate? Meaning what's the underlying technology, but more, where do you see that fitting in, which is if you can absolutely stun people, like I saw you had launched, uh, and I'm not sure perhaps you had did, done this partnership, the hotel booking option now where you can book directly through Ecosia. Um, and then there's other tools that you're building these partnerships with. We see that as a big part of sort of putting the ability, not just to search, but to take an action right embedded within it is, is where Google has gone. Is that somewhere where Ecosia is going to provide as well or as good of an experience so that when you make the debate, it becomes a non-debate because realistically they can get as good or, or better experience with you. What's what's the focus on the technology of search with Ecosia? So in terms of the search space itself, I think there's a couple of different distinctions to be made. In my mind, and I'm sure others would argue, there's almost three buckets of search providers. There is what I call surveillance search, for lack of a better term, but it's search engines that are collecting without your knowledge kind of behind your back data about what you're doing and then using that to target you in certain ways that you're unaware of. Then there is private search, which is actually about giving users more control. So I would say data control, uh, sorry, data collection itself is not the core problem here. The core problem is that you don't know your data is being mined and used. So privacy search engines come along and say, well, let me give you some of that control back. You can opt in and opt out. And then there's anonymous search, which is how we think about it at Ecosia. So in lieu of a lot of the regulatory levers being in place to do private search in the full extent that it should be done, and in lieu of a lot of the, I would say, infrastructure and just regulatory environment needed to make and push these changes through, the other option is to say, well, we're going to allow you to be completely anonymous. And so each of these buckets, I think, has a different search experience that a user should be free to choose from. At Ecosia, Privacy search makes a lot of sense for us. We're partnered with Microsoft Bing, which is one of our search providers. And so all of the underlying search technology that people are talking about, the evolution of AI search or the use of natural language processing, things like this, that's something that is built in to, I think, how everybody is thinking about how to develop search today, but how we allow that to be used, where Google might be using some of these technologies to then get more granular detail about you, target you, advertise to you, to feed their underlying monetization model, well, we can take those same inherent technological innovations, which are not good or bad in of themselves, right? It's just how we decide to use them. And we say, okay, well, we're going to use 
let's say, for example, the same technology of natural language processing in the future and help you figure out how to get green search results when you want to travel or when you want to shop. And the end goal is not to monetize, but to just make you more aware of your options and help you make different decisions if that's something that you'd like to do. So this freedom of going out and saying, you know, what is it that you're trying to do with your search? Are you just trying to get more info or are you trying to make a sustainable choice or, you know, are you just searching because you actually want to buy something? It's this more open approach rather than taking whatever the person has put into the search query search box and putting that directly towards a monetization use. That is a wonderful way to frame it. Actually, I, I don't think I've ever heard someone explain it that way, which what, what I see here is your approach is the technology itself is available and will be put to whatever use it can. That may be good or bad, depending on how one uses it. But the understanding of the consumer of how it is being used is as critical in many ways as whether or not the technology is available. So when we look at it that way, I find that fascinating because that that's something yes, we spend a lot of time on, which is we're bringing these technologies technologies to major companies and government entities, and we're supporting them that we believe that when people have a question of the World Health Organization, they should ask the WHO that question. I don't necessarily think that Google is the best place for them to find that because there's just a ton of other SEO optimized, for lack of a better term, crap that's really designed just to get clicks. The reality of what we're looking for is we want authoritative answers directly from the objective truths, directly from the sources. And what you're stating kind of aligns with that, which is how people use those technologies, we should actually completely understand. Not that I want another cookie pop up in Europe. They're terrible. But the reality is people do need to understand how the data is being used. And basically what you're saying is that number one, Bing is a phenomenal underlying search partner. So that makes complete sense. But as those technologies of AI, natural language processing or natural language understanding, conversational engagement, you're going to bring those technologies to people as well other people or other platforms, but with the awareness of which of the three buckets is this being provided in. I, I think that makes a lot of sense because realistically, the technology is now evolving at a pace faster than we could ever imagine in terms of how well, like GPT-2 was just a couple of years ago. Now it's GPT-3 and we're probably due for GPT-4. This will just keep going. And as it goes that quickly, you'll be able to bring that technology to people. But how you use the data and for what purpose the search is aligned to I think is a phenomenal way to frame that because in the end, the technologies will be available everywhere. It's how you as the consumer want to engage or what you are comfortable with or what you want to stand for will be part of that search experience. That's It's a fascinating way to think about it. So I have another question, another question for you. So looking at sort of the future of search, when we talk about where is this headed? When you think about whether it's Ecosia and your search experience, I love that you all have a very simple interface. It's designed for just ask us what you're looking for. Where do you see this going? What is the future of search in terms of new features or functions? You mentioned partnerships for new experiences. What are some of the things that you're looking for, looking to build? Right now, it seems to me that there is a huge rush and huge interest towards AI-powered search, uh, more granular search. So as we just discussed, natural language processing, I think one of the trends we're seeing, actually have seen for a long time now, is separating out voice power search versus visual search. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what specific technological feature it is that we're diving into could go down a rabbit hole around everything that's being built. As you mentioned, what I say today is probably going to be obsolete by next week anyways. But 
I see the same driving objective, which is building new features to allow for better targeting, more granular targeting of user intent, not just what they think they're telling you they want, but you as a search engine almost knowing before they tell you that, oh, okay, this is probably what they want because I have all of this other context. That creates this interesting world where it's people who are you know, in the bucket of, I have to monetize this. And that's going to lead them down a certain set of directions. And then there's people who are going to say, I need to put the user first and provide a great search product, but without compromising the user's integrity. Sadly, a lot of, I would say, the power dynamic is skewed to one side of that conversation right now. People are saying all the time, well, is it possible to have both choices? Of course, it's possible to have both choices. And you have both choices right now, right? You can opt into many different search engines, which are, are offering different value propositions. For me, the more interesting question is the coexistence of those two options sustainable. And my <laughs> kind of depressing answer right now is no unless, right? So, so no unless users really start thinking about the intentionality of their choices and demanding more options. No unless more businesses start looking at and exploring different ways of doing something like what Ecosia is doing and realizing that you know, this shouldn't be an alternative way of doing things. It should just be there are multiple ways of doing things. And I'm choosing to serve a specific segment of the population by doing business in the way that is demanded. And of course, not unless if regulatory or policy intervention happens. It's just impossible for that to go any other way because the power dynamic is so inherently skewed right now. And so what I would love to see over the next couple of years is more awareness come to that movement. And that's something that I do think takes years to to build. One of the interesting things about working at Ecosia is you're at this weird intersection of both the climate movement, but also the big tech movement. And something I've personally observed is that the, I would say, privacy and tech conversation is evolving very similarly today to how the climate conversation evolved 10 years ago. So if you think about this, I remember 10 years ago, if you went up to someone and you're like, I'm, I'm vegan, I don't really fly anymore, and I believe that the world is going to burn up in about a decade and you know we're, we're all going to end up in a not so great place, people are like, you're crazy. You know, I'm going to have my Big Mac and I'm flying over to California tomorrow and it's going to be a problem for the future, don't worry about it. But now it's much more mainstream. People aren't shocked anymore when you say I'm vegetarian and I'm making these sustainable choices. That's become this more accepted narrative. I think that's where I see the tech conversation, right? When someone is like, well, I'm I'm quitting WhatsApp and I'm switching over to this different phone or different operating system. And actually you should be using this choice rather than this choice. It's like everyone has that friend, quote unquote. And it's like, oh, okay, he's going off his rocker again. But I think in about 10 years, that's going to become a really real conversation. And people are like, oh, actually, yeah, if I want to live a conscious, sustainable, not in the environmental sense of the word, but in a responsible citizenship sense of the word, then I have to be aware about some of these things. My hope is that what you said, if it's taken 10, 20, 30 years for the more environmental discourse, it does feel like the privacy discourse is moving relatively quickly in comparison to that. And it could be for related purposes, to your point much earlier, which is these are kind of unified. Is it profit at all costs or do we want to live with purpose? And those are sort of two very sort of uh, binary choices in, in many ways that people can make. So when I see sort of the, the path that it's headed that way, 
I think there is a, a very smart alignment for many companies, brands, businesses who hold themselves out as trying to do good, even if they are still, you know, typical C Corp, but they're trying to hold out that they have, you know, actually, I'll take one for example. Apple's not perfect in everything. But Apple's stance on privacy and saying, we're not going to let apps track you. And we're going to tell you whether they don't tell you or not. We're going to tell you they're trying to track you is a really important step where companies are starting to see privacy and that approach to data, that more anonymous approach as something they want to stand for, I think is actually a really great opportunity. And that, that doesn't happen easily. That's a major shift to see the types of commercials that Apple are putting out there now and really putting marketing budget behind it. So I see all those sort of coming together. To me, thinking about where you all are and where you're headed. And that concept of the technology will be there. It's a question of making a choice of what do you want to do with this search? And then people making the right decisions on how to handle that personal data is a fascinating approach. I could definitely see a world where there are more Ecosia concepts or a marketplace of what do I want to do with this search for what good and making it very easy for people to engage in that. But I also think to your point, no, unless, because it's so skewed right now, it's going to be real hard to make that, that massive change. Every show, we like to ask people about a bold prediction, where you see search going or where you think, you know, what, what could happen five years from now. You've mentioned a lot of technologies sort of as they become more ubiquitous, talking to our toaster, our car and everything in between. What's your prediction for the next five years for search? In particular, I'd love to hear it in scope or in lens of Ecosia's mission. I'll kind of break those two apart. So in terms of just general search, what I think might be a really interesting thing that we start seeing playing out in the search industry, and maybe the tech industry at large, is ethics becoming a part of search. And so once upon a time, you would just come up with this innovative idea and you'd be like, well, this is going to make everybody's life simpler. And I'm just going to push it out to the masses. And look, people love it. It's great. Now I have a billion users. Money is coming in. It's great. And what we've seen over the past couple of decades of big tech becoming a very intrusive and surveillance and almost big brother presence is actually, wait, you know, that level of scale and that level of reach and power comes with a lot of gray area. And whereas once I think mindsets are solely focused on what's the next innovation that we can build, I think soon there's going to be a lot of, hey, we need to stop. We need to think about what the ethics of this mean. It doesn't mean we're always going to make the right choices. And I think we've seen that as well, right? Ethical questions come up and because of profit-driven motives or something else, they kind of get pushed to the wayside. But I think it it will come up both on the regulatory world, it will come up from a user perspective, and it will come up from a provider perspective, having that choice and being aware of that choice as a first kind of step. And what I'm hoping to see as well is more customization come out of that, moving away from the one-size-fits-all approach we described earlier. But once you have ethics as a consideration almost similar to the climate movement, right? Like I'm going to choose whether I am just a, a meat consumer or maybe I just consume organic and certified meat or maybe I'm a vegetarian or maybe I'm a full-on vegan or maybe I'm one of the other, I don't know, fruititarian or one of the many things that have come up in the past few decades and I'm not always aware of all of them. But I, I'm hoping to see that kind of fragmentation of the search space to allow for choice because there's this consideration of ethics. Uh, so that's on the broad search industry trend side. On the Ecosia side, I think what we're thinking about is how to take this pace of technology, this evolution of everything from algorithms to how we think about search access points and tie them to what our goal is, but to help users live a more sustainable life. And 
this is going back to our discussion about how technology in itself and a future of technology is never inherently good or bad. It's just what purpose and what intention you have for it as a company. We've always been very, very clear that our purpose as a company is to help do environmental good and kind of fight back or push back against this ticking clock of climate change, where there is a very finite period of time we have to get things right and to fix the damage that we've done. And so we'd love to explore new verticals within that, whether that's saying, you know, we're going to push out a new green shopping vertical and highlight green sustainable choices that you can make through your shopping. Maybe that's green travel. And it's taking all of that level of granularity that you can do with the newest technology and saying, okay, we understand the user better, we understand search better, and therefore we can also provide green options in a way that is the most useful for you. And of course, throughout the entire process, being transparent about how we are doing that, giving choices uh, to the user to opt in or opt out and control how they have that experience. That's excellent. And I love it. The understanding of ethics and search coming together, I think is brilliant. I think ethical understanding of one's place in the world is is always sort of a, an evolution. It's a, it's a range of sort of scales. There are people that are just toying with being vegan and they just start by being vegetarian and it's sort of this process, right? And I think that will continue. Awareness is absolutely critical for that. I also found it interesting when you talk about ethics, just thinking about where we are. I've heard the phrase so many times from economists, you know, data is the new oil. I'm not a huge fan of that, but if data is the new oil, then what's big tech, right? So it starts to put you in that perspective of these things are related, as you said earlier. And I think that's, it's kind of amazing. It's that concept of you have this power with this information. How should it be used? What is the proper way to use it? And can we get users to understand that their search, that information they're sharing is their data. It's critical for them to understand what they can do. And then to couple that with that, they could actually do good things with it. In addition to sort of finding what they're looking for with search is a really fascinating and interesting future that I think many people will think about further after hearing you. So Ruby Al, uh, so head of North America for Ecosia, want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's our episode for today. Thank you all for your time. We hope you got some valuable insights from today's discussion. And as always, please subscribe to the Yext Talks podcast to hear more and to get more answers to the questions that matter. 